this message that I'm going to do to the do this morning is one I've been dancing around for, for probably a month or two because it's, uh, it's one that's uh, kind of a little more difficult to, to talk about. And sometimes we use this scripture and we condemn ourselves because of it. And we're going to be in Mark. And I'm actually going to mostly be talking about, uh, in verse 16, two verses. Now, if you want to know why my Sunday school classes and that takes me so long to get through something, these two verses I'm going to be on probably for the next two, maybe three weeks. So <laughs> and it's going, to, it's going to be a series that I want to do on this because I can't, I tried to do it in one, just one, condense it, and I can't, no matter how hard I tried, because I wanted to go through and be able to help you understand these verses because they're verses that, that we have, a, have a trouble with sometimes. And the name of it's going to be called Signs Follow Believers. Now, I know we're familiar with those scriptures, but I want to talk about them for the ne- in, in the next few weeks and go through them, and, and maybe I can help give you some little more insight, and maybe I can maybe relieve some of that condemnation off your lives and those kind of things. So that's what I'm going to talk about <clears throat> this morning. Now, after the resurrection of Christ and just before he went to heaven, these are the words, words that he spoke to the people that were there. And it wasn't just the disciples that was there. There was probably 500 people that Jesus talked to and spoke these words among I don't you read the different views in Matthew and in Mark but Mark specifically has these particular verses and that's what I'm going to read this morning and I'm going to be reading out of the New King James these two verses <clears throat> Mark 16 starting with verse 17 and it says and these signs will follow those who believe in my name they will cast out demons they will speak with new tongues they will take up serpents and if they drink any deadly thing it will by no means hurt them. They will lay the hands on the sick, and they shall recover. <clears throat> now, a sign, according to the dictionary and according to the things that I kind of put together, a sign is a mark, a token, that is, by which a person or a thing is distinguished from others, an unusual, an unusual occurrence transcending the common course of nature, of signs pretending Remarkable events soon to happen of miracles and wonders by which God authenticates the men sent by him or by which men prove that the cause they are pleading is God's. That's the dictionary's version of these verses. <clears throat> now, I know there's a lot of different uh, ideas in the world today as far as doctrine is concerned. And a lot of people say, well, these signs that were following the, the disciples and following the apostles... They're not done. They're not for today because they were done away with when the canon of the Bible was complete and Jesus came and salvation and all these things had taken place. And they, what they use as their uh, verse is in um, <clears throat> to substantiate this theory. <clears throat> excuse me. Is found in First uh, Corinthians the thirteenth chapter, and this is the New Living Translation, and it says prophecy and speaking in unknown language, and soon special knowledge will be become useless. Okay, and so that's the scripture they use that said that tongues are going to become useless. But is prophecy useless today? You can't have one useless and not the other because they're in the same, the same chapter. But that's kind of the verse that they, uh, they use to try to substantiate their own belief system. Say, oh, I don't speak in tongues today because, or I don't do this today, or I don't do these signs because that was just for the time when the disciples were here. But nowhere in this Bible tells us that. God didn't give us something and then tell us until such and such a point. The Bible does say until all is fulfilled, until he comes back and sets up his kingdom and we're in the new Jerusalem. Are we there yet? 
We're not there yet. So if we're not there yet, then those things must be in effect just the same as prophecy is because there's still a lot of prophecy that hasn't been fulfilled. We're studying prophecy in Sunday school and we're studying prophecy on uh, Wednesday nights. And there's a lot of things in this Bible that still have yet to be fulfilled. So we can't do away with prophecy. So we can't do away with these signs so easily either. But I want to go through these signs one by one when we get there to be able to help you understand what these signs are and what they mean. Because sometimes they have dual meanings. And I want to look at all those different meanings of these things. Now, <clears throat> miracles in the beginning, when the disciples here and when Jesus was here, was to be, draw people to faith. That's why people came. Hey, there's something unusual that drew the people to the miracle and, and those signs. And that's what it was used for at the beginning of Christianity. Now, it's kind of just the opposite. Because we have faith, because we serve God, because we do these things, these miracles and signs happen. So it's kind of a different way in the, in, versus the time Christ was here and the way that uh, it is today. Now, the Bible didn't say if you go to church on Sunday, you have sign, signs that follow you. It doesn't say if you belong to the board. It doesn't say if you lead worship. It doesn't say all these things will follow you. It says if you're a believer, if you believe. That's the catch. Now, the problem is, or the question is, do we believe? That's the kicker. That's the hard part of this verse. Do we believe? Now, I know that we think that it, it takes uh, a lot of uh, things to believe, a lot of extra faith. But, see, you know, I believe in electricity. And I know everybody here believes in electricity because we're sitting under a fan and we're sitting under a light. So we believe in electricity because when I come in here in the mornings, I turn the light on because why? I believe in electricity and I believe in that appliance or those fans' ability to use that electricity in order to operate. Without electricity, that thing is no good, is it? Just useless, just there. It might look good for decoration, but they'd serve no purpose. Well, Christ and God and His Spirit is our electricity, it's our source of power. So, do we believe? Does it take a lot of extra faith to believe in signs than it does anything else? Let's look at verse uh, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. I know some of these scriptures you're going to know. You could quote them if you wanted to. And it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Believe and believeth, these words in this particular verse, is the same Greek word that's used to say, if you believe, these signs will follow. So it took the same faith to believe that God could save you as it does to do signs and miracles. That's the reality of it, because that's, it's the same word. And the, in the Greek, there's a lot of different words that they could have used to reflect that if it was something different. But it isn't, and we need to understand that. And it, to me, it takes more faith for me to believe that Christ would come from heaven, leave all the wealth and leave, leave everything that he had there and all his things that was going on and come here on this earth, walk in this humanity and this weak flesh that we have to live with every day and walk in this world filthy with sin and die for me. Now, when you look at it realistically, doesn't that take a lot more faith? To me, it seems like it would, but God would even care about me. Why does he care about me? Doesn't make any sense. But if I have enough faith to believe that, I have enough faith to do anything that this Bible says I can do. 
And we need to understand that. We need to relate to that because we don't need some big fancy faith in order to do these things. And it wouldn't make sense if God, if Christ told us to do something we couldn't do. And if it took some extraordinary thing for us to do them, that would be crazy. Now, if I told my kids when they were at home to vacuum the house and I didn't have a vacuum cleaner, that'd be crazy, wouldn't it? They'd be saying, Mom, I can't do that. I don't have to vacuum. Well, get down there your hands and knees and suck hard. <laughs> you can spit whenever you want. But see, that doesn't, it wouldn't make any sense. But in reality, we kind of look at, those, at this particular verse and we condemn ourselves and say, man, I can't do that. I don't have enough faith to do that. I don't have the ability to do that. Well, God knows you don't have the ability to do that. That's why he wants to give us the ability. He is our ability. We don't do these things on our own, under our own power. Otherwise, we're just like trying to vacuum our floor with our mouth. It isn't going to do a very good job. It may take you a long time to do it. I imagine you might be able to get it done if, you have, if you're pretty good at it. <laughs> But it isn't something that would make any sense. And if God told you to do that, you'd say, God, what is the matter with you? Show me that in the Word. <laughs> and if I told you, hey, I want everybody up here, you know, our vacuum's broke. Come on, let's line up here. We're all going to suck on the floor and clean it all up. <laughs> That'd be a sight, wouldn't it? You'd look at me like I was crazy and throw me out the door because it would be crazy. Well, yet we look at this verse that God told us to do or Christ told us to do, we think, man, what's going on here? This doesn't make any sense to me. To me, that would be just like me saying, vacuum the floor with your mouth. Reality. Now, when we look at the reality of things, now, if I told you this morning that I got a call from Bill Gates, and Bill Gates said he wanted to adopt me, and he wanted me to be his sole heir, you people would look at me like I was crazy and make a phone call to the little white man in the coach come and haul me off to the asylum because that would be crazy I don't even know who he is and he don't know who I am so why in the world would he do that but if it was true if that ha really had happened then he would have to draw up some legal papers in order to, to get the process going he'd have to draw up legal papers I had to be willing to be adopted he'd have to be willing to adopt me he'd go to a lawyer draw up the papers and as soon as those things those papers were signed I would be considered his heir wouldn't make any sense but I'd be considered his heir. And it would work just fine. But the reality of adoption is different than being born into the family. Now, you can't disown an adopted child. Did you know that? You can't disown them. You can disown a natural-born child. You can disown them, but you can't disown an adopted child. But the adopted child can refuse the inheritance and change their own name. They can do that. But the, the parents, that are, the people that adopt a child... They can't unadopt you. So when we, God has grafted us in to his thing, he can't unadopt us. We can walk away if we want, but he can't, he can't unadopt us. So that's kind of a security for us as believers, that God won't turn his back on us. He can turn his back on natural born ones, but not on us. <laughs> They're adopted. Hey, I kind of like that, you know. <laughs> so, but that's kind of the same thing that happened with God, isn't it? He drew up the legal papers. These are the legal papers that we have, that we have been adopted, and God won't disown us. And he not only signed these papers, he signed them in his blood. So, but that would be kind of the relation that we see with Christ coming here, as if I told you that Bill Gates adopted me, because that would be one of the most ridiculous things, and it wouldn't make any sense. Well, it doesn't make any sense that God wants us either. It doesn't make any sense to me. So the faith to believe that God would come down and do that, when you think about it realistically, 
it'll blow your mind that God cares and loves us enough to do that. Well, Jesus gave us his own authority when he died on the cross. He gave us his name and his authority because if I'm adopted by someone else, my name's changed. I, my name's changed to the, to the name, whatever it was. I know that my husband adopted my kids, and when they adopted them, their name changed. It was no longer what it used to be. They got a new name. And the interesting thing about my, my husband is he was adopted. And then he adopted our, our, my kids. And then my son adopted his first uh, son that his uh, wife had. So I think it's kind of interesting. Four generations of adopted or of people. That's, that's quite, a, quite a thing. But anyway, but their names changed. And that's the same thing that happens with Christ. We get a different name change. And we operate in the authority of his name. Now, I know sometimes there's a lot of confusion in, you know, as far as we baptize. Why do we baptize in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and the name of the Holy Spirit? And everybody says, well, you're supposed to baptize in just Jesus' name because he's the only one that has a name. Well, you're missing the verse. You're missing the verse. The verse is saying, I'm baptizing you in the authority of the Father. I'm baptizing you in the, uh, the authority of the Son and the authority of the Spirit. In that a power and authority that's given to kids that belong to God. And he's given us the authority. So he's given me the authority to baptize them in his authority and in his name. Not in the, you want to know what the names of God are? There's lots of them in the Bible if you want to look them up. There's, there's hundreds of them. Just pick one. <laughs> because all of his names have a special meaning. So and instead of saying, I baptize you in the name of God, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah Shema, Elohim, all these other names. He's just baptized him in the name of the authority of the Father and in the authority of the Son and the authority of the Spirit. And that's what he's given to each one of us, to walk in his authority. So it isn't my name that's going to do you any good. It's his name. Now, I know when I married Randy, my name changed. And we have a joint checking account. And he gave me use of his name and the authority of his name. And I've changed my name. So now my name is no longer what it used to be. I have a new name. And I can write checks out of that checking account as long as I use his name and the authority of his name. But I can't use, get anything from the authority of my name. And I use his name quite regularly. <laughs> so, but if I signed a check with my name on it, it bounced. <laughs> Because I have no, the bank doesn't recognize my authority of my name. It recognizes the authority of his name. And that's what we have to understand as Christians. We need to understand that when we're going through and we're serving God, we don't do thing, anything in the authority of our name. we got to do it in the authority of his name. And that's what we need to do. And when we realize that, then it opens up a whole different ballgame. Because we're sitting there, we're trying to do all these things in our own name. And the checks are bouncing. Prayers aren't being answered because we're trying to use our own authority in our own name. And so, therefore, because the scripture scares us so much, we don't do anything because we're afraid that, hey, man, I'm going to mess it up. And I don't want to do that. And so we use the authority of his name. <clears throat> and when we do that, then we're going to be fine. Now, because I love my husband, I don't want to do anything to abuse his name either. I'm proud of that name, and he's proud of that name. So one of the best things that you can leave your children is a good name. And I, I'm not going to go around, I'm not going to 
do anything to ruin his name. But if I wanted to ruin his name, bring shame to his name, all I got to do is write bad checks, charge stuff and not pay for it, hang out in the bars, do everything that I can that I want to do myself and not care about him, I can bring shame to his name, can't I? Well, that's the reason that some Christians or some people don't come to Christ is because they seek the way that Christians live. They call themselves Christians, and yet they're abusing the name, they're bringing shame to the, the name of Jesus because they live like the devil. And they know what Christians are supposed to live like. And how many times do we say, they're supposed to be a Christian, and they did that? Have, we, have you ever said that? I've said that a lot because we know what some, how Christians are supposed to behave. And every time we do something we shouldn't be doing or be somewhere we shouldn't be going, then people say, hey, they're supposed to be a Christian. They do that. And we bring shame to the name of Jesus. And then, they got the, then they're not interested in serving, serving a God that you can bring shame to. So I want to protect the name not only of my husband, but I want to protect the name of Jesus, and I want to be able to bring good things and good reports to the name of Jesus, so they have no cause to not realize that, hey, I'm a child of the king. <clears throat> now, when my kids were little, they lived under my authority, or our authority, and I told them what time they're going to bed, I decided what they were going to eat, I decided what they, where they could go, where they couldn't go. And I decided all these things for my kids when they were little, when they were younger. But then when they grew up and left home, my authority over them ended. I, didn't, I couldn't tell them what time they would to bed. I couldn't tell them what they could do, where they could go, or what they should eat, or any of those things, because they're out from underneath my authority. See, the problem that we have is that we need to get out from the authority of the world and out of underneath the authority of the devil and move. When Jesus died on the cross, he restored us authority. And the only problem is we don't know we have it. And that's one of the things that the devil wants to do. He likes to use the scripture and say, hey, you can't do these anymore. See, you can't do these. Because we don't understand the, what authority means. We have ambassadors that we, we send all over the world. And they're our nation's representatives. And they, they speak in the authority of our country. So we understand those kind of things. But we don't understand authority when we come to God's word and God's house. We don't understand the authority he's given unto us. And so the devil keeps us in the dark. He treats us, lets us know that, hey, you don't have no authority over here because that's all gone. All the disciples died. You don't have any authority anymore. So in, it destroys our lives. We live in bondage. We live under the, the authority of Satan and let him dictate to us what we can do. But Jesus says, hey, you don't have to live there. You can move. You can live under my authority and the authority of my name. And I have all power in heaven and in earth. And I've given that to you so you can live under my authority. So when I'm doing it, I'm doing it in his authority and not mine. Now, if I gave you the, the church credit card and I told you to go to Costco and buy some paper towels and buy some plates and different things and gave you a list of stuff. Now, I gave you that card. You could go to Costco and you could use that card just as if it was yours. And buy the things. But see, you can only get the things I told you to get. Those are the only things you're supposed to get. So that's why I give you the list of what you should get. And when the bill comes, I'm not going to come to you and expect you to pay it. 
the church will pay it because I asked you to do that. Well, Jesus gave us a credit card. He gave us his credit card, and he says, go out, do these things, do these signs in my name because I've already paid the bill. I paid it for you in order that you can do it. You can fulfill these things. It's not a big deal because I've given you the authority to do that. And that's the same thing. We can understand the credit card thing because people do that all the time. Don't we? Here, go take the credit card, go down and do this. We're used to that. We're used to doing that. But Christ says, here, here is your credit card. Here is the authority I'm giving you. I'm giving you the authority to do these things. And yet we sit there with God's credit card in our back pocket and we go there and wander through the through life and say, man, I wish I could get this. I wish I could pray for this sick person. I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. But we have the credit card right in our back pocket. And all we got to do is just pull it out and use it. And use it into the authority of Christ. And then it works. As long as we go by his recipe. James <clears throat> James 4, 3 says, and when you ask, do, and you do not receive it because your motives are bad. You ask for things to use for your own pleasure. See, Jesus promised to meet our needs. And as long as there's a need that we have, Jesus said, I promise to meet that need. And we can hold him to account and say, God, you promised to meet this need. I have this need. Would you meet it? This is what your word says. But he didn't promise to meet all our wants. And we live in a society of so many wants, we want everything that isn't tied down. And we try to come to God with all our wants, and God does answer some of our wants. So I have a list of wants that I bring to God, because I never know what he's going to let me have, what he isn't going to let me have. And I don't want God to give me something that's going to be harmful to me. I wouldn't do it for my kids just because they wanted bleach doesn't mean that I'm going to give it to them to drink just because they think it looks good. That's crazy, and God won't do the same thing. But I can come to him with my needs and expect him to meet them. But we can't come to God with demands. And see, we live in a society where everybody's demanding this. I'm demanding that I have a house and you should pay for it. I'm demanding that you should pay for my doctor bills. I'm demanding that you should bail me out here. I'm demanding all these things. That doesn't work with God. And when you find out what God wants you to do, and the only way you're going to do it is by here. We're not going to know what his will is because he says if we ask according to his will, he'll do it. Well, see, that involves some time. We have to spend time in prayer. We have to spend time reading this book to find out what is is that, I can, that I'm entitled to do. And then we won't be deceived. First <clears throat> uh, John 5, 14 <clears throat> says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. We know that he hears us. Now, we kind of think, well, yeah, he hears everything, and so therefore he's going to answer everything. But that isn't what it means. What it means is like we have to look in the the book of Esther. Remember when when she came to the king, if she wasn't called, she could enter the kingdom, and if he uh, held out his scepter towards her, then she had an audience with the king, and he would hear her. Well, the king has to open up the hearing part to give you permission to ask for those things. Well, everything in this book that he said we could ask for, we can ask for. And we can ask as long as we're in the audience with the king for the things that he's agreed to, we can ask for some of the things that aren't. Now, we may need a car, may need a new car, and you can pray for a Cadillac and hope God will give you one. But he may just give you a Chevy because maybe that's all you need. You just need a car. You don't need a Cadillac. 
but he may give it to you. So I'm praying for the Cadillac. I'm praying for, the, for those nice things. You say, it's just as easy to pray for Cadillacs. It does a shivy, isn't it? Besides, that's made by the same company. <laughs> and everything God gives us, it's just as easy for God to give me a Cadillac as it is a shivy. So God says, go ahead and do that. But find out what it is that I promised you. And so we need to ask things according to his will. And in order to do that, we have to be able to read his word in order to do it. <clears throat> and we know that these lists of signs that we read this morning, they're his will. Because he told us to do them. So we know it's his will. So now we know that, hey, we can do these things. We can ask for these things because he said to do it. And he, So if he said to do it, it must be his will, right? So if we're asking according to his will, he will do it through us. See, it's the through us thing. He doesn't do us for us. He does it through us. And see, we want the, him to do things for us because that's easy. Then we just got to sit back and watch. But God wants to do things through us. And in order to do things through us, we have to be willing vessels, and we have to be the ones that's willing to let God do it through us. Matthew um, 13 Verse 53, starting, it says, When Jesus finished telling these parables, he left the place and went back to his hometown. He taught in the synagogue, and those who heard him were amazed. Where did he get such wisdom? They asked him about what his, they asked, and what about his miracles? Isn't he the carpenter's son? Isn't Mary his mother? And aren't James and Joseph, Simon and Judas his brothers? Aren't all these sisters living here? Where did he get all this? And so they rejected him. And said to him, a prophet is respected everywhere except in his hometown and his own family because they did not have, have faith. He did not perform many miracles there. As powerful as Jesus was, there are some places he couldn't leave signs <laughs> because of people's unbelief. And it's hard when people know who you are to accept you as a servant of God and with the, with the authority of God. It's hard to do that, and Jesus realized that, and he knew that. So don't, we don't need to quit being discouraged about it because if Jesus had a problem in some areas, so are we. But it had nothing to do with Jesus. The problem wasn't with Jesus. The problem isn't with us. So we need to understand that. <clears throat> now, if I do something, if the, my boss tells me to do something, it works. And I do it exactly the way that they ask me to do it, then who's responsible if it doesn't work out right? Me? No, I just did what she said. And that's so it's her fault if it doesn't work. It's not my fault. If I worked as a gardener, and I went in and I worked for this guy, and he gave me these tomato plants, and he says, I want you to plant these tomatoes. Only I want you to plant them this upside down. Maybe he didn't know they were upside down. But anyway, I want you to plant it upside down. Now, I knew better. But, hey, he's my boss. I'm going to do exactly what he tells me to do. And if that tomato plant doesn't grow and bear fruit, it isn't my fault. It's his fault because he gave me the wrong instructions. But if that gardener gives me a book on planting tomatoes and tells me everything I need to know about planting tomatoes is in that book, then I have to read the book to find out what it says. And then if I do everything, then if I don't do everything the book tells me to do, then whose fault is it if it doesn't grow? Then it's my fault. If I don't follow the instructions, then it's my fault. But if I follow the instructions to the letter of the law and do everything this book tells me to do, and I plan them, and then they don't grow, well, it's not my fault. 
I don't know what fault it is. I don't know. It doesn't matter whose fault it is. But it surely wasn't my fault. Maybe it's the soil. Maybe it was something that was in the, in the dirt. Maybe it, was, maybe it was a plant. Maybe they gave me a bad, bad plant. There's all kinds of reasons why that wouldn't turn out. But it wouldn't be my fault. And that's what we need to understand when, when we look at these signs and things that God told us about, told us to do. It, we just got to do it exactly the way he told us to do it. And if we do that, then it doesn't work. Then we need, we're not responsible. We're not responsible for the results. God is. And that's why we don't do a lot of things is because we're afraid that something won't work. And if it don't work, we blame ourselves. And so then we're not going to do it anymore. But Jesus said, hey, you do this, and you don't worry about it because I'm the one that's responsible for the result because you're doing it in my authority and not your authority. And as long as you do that, you're going to be okay. It doesn't matter. And besides that, we don't need to be concentrating on trying to perform signs. We're so over here on the, on the other end. We don't need to worry about that because the signs follow. We have to get the, the faith first. We have to get the belief first, and these things follow. It's just an automatic result of what happens. <clears throat> now, these signs were important because they led people to God. Now, if I'm dry walking through the forest, and I look down and I see these deer tracks, and I see deer droppings. Now, I know that a deer went by here even if I didn't see it. I don't need any, any explanation other than that. I've seen the evidence that it was here. And if I followed those tracks, I'd find the deer. If I was a good tracker, <laughs> I could find the deer that left those signs. Well, see, that's what God wants these signs for. He wants the signs so the unbelievers can follow the, follow the signs to the believer so that they can believe. Did you get that? <laughs> I'll say it again. The signs are for unbelievers to follow believers, to follow the signs to the believers so that they can believe. And that's why the signs are important. So why don't we see these signs? Like I said earlier, the devil doesn't want us to know we have the authority to do them. Or he wants us so consumed them under the signs that we're condemning ourselves so much and we're so afraid about trying anything that he keeps us that way. And that isn't God's will for our life. And when we live under the authority of Satan, that's what's going to happen. But when we live under the authority of Jesus, we won't even need to worry about it because God will work it out. God will make the opportunities present themselves to us. We don't have to worry about running out of our, our, our house and looking for, oh, let's see, where can I go do, perform a sign today? He didn't tell us to follow signs. As believers, he told us to follow him, and the signs would follow us because he wants to work through us. And if we're sitting running around the country trying to chase signs, we're out of God's will because he didn't tell us to chase signs. Believe, unbelievers are supposed to follow signs. We're not. So we need to get, out, get that out of our mind right, off, right up front. Now, these verses say signs follow. Faith and belief are supposed to precede the signs. <clears throat> this authority he gave us, we got when we accepted him as our Savior. That's when we got it. We didn't have to worry about going to school and say, well, after I do all these kind of things, then I get this authority. Because as soon as we accept Christ as our Savior, we get a new name. There's, says there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Now, God knows that name. Now, one day we're all going to get know what that name is. Because when we go to heaven, into the new heaven and the new, new Jerusalem, we're going to get a different name because this earthly name isn't going to be allowed into heaven. I'm not going to be called Sandra anymore. 
You're not going to be called Susie or Leslie or anybody else anymore. God has a new name for you, and that new name is going to have meaning. Usually we name our kids what name that we like. Oh, I just liked it. I heard it somewhere, and I liked it. So we don't really care. We don't, we're not into names. But God is into names. You read the Bible, and you know that. He changed Saul's name to Paul because he didn't like the name he was given. He didn't like the meaning of it. He changed Jacob's name, or excuse me, Joseph's, yeah, Jacob's name to Israel because he didn't like the meaning of Jacob. That was the reality of it. And God is going to give us a new name. And that new name is written in heaven. And one day, you're going to know what it is, and I'm going to know what it is, and we're all going to know our names. Don't worry about memorizing names because we'll know what they are. <coughs> uh, now, Mark 16 and 17. Let me see if i got time to go through rest of this I'll go a little bit and that's it <clears throat> can we go back to this verse it says these signs shall follow those who believe these signs shall follow believers if you are if you aren't a believer there's not going to be any signs you can't claim this promise you can't claim these verses if you're not a believer you don't have the authority to claim them you haven't been given a new name you're not on the checking account if you don't have the name if you're not a believer and it's once we become a believer, then it's kind of like, you know, you're walking down a sandy beach. And you're bare feet. Oh, doesn't matter. Your shoes on doesn't matter. You're walking down this, this sandy beach, and you want to leave footprints in the sand. You don't have to do anything to leave footprints in this, on a sandy beach, do you? You just sit there, you don't have to sit there and trying to go like this and kick in the sand and trying to do all kinds of things so people will know that you were there. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is just go about your daily life, walk down the sandy beach of life, and you're going to leave footprints in the back. No matter, you have to try not to leave footprints. And that's what these verses are talking about. These verses are talking about, you don't have to do anything special about it. You don't have to, to go out of your way to, to try and look for things. You just go about your daily life. Go about your daily existence of living for God and doing it in God's service. We have to do it in God's service. We have to do it in relationship to serving God. If we're doing it in relationship to serving ourselves and, and trying to prove to everybody that my religion's better than yours, guess what? That isn't God's will. So we just sit there and we just walk through the sandy beaches of this life and we, we witness for Christ and we talk about Christ and we tell him all the good things that he does so he can get them to find him. And in the process, then we, if you turn around and you look, then you're going to see the signs. You're going to see the lives of people whose lives you've helped influence in one way or another. I can destroy my husband's name and I don't want to. And if you've ever followed a brother or sister in school, have you ever do that? You know, your older brother, your older sister went through school, and you come in a couple years behind them, and you got some of the same teachers. <laughs> have you ever done that? And they say, oh, are you such and such a sister? <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, they have a preconceived idea of what you like. <laughs> Good or bad. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> Good or bad, they're going to have, a, have an idea of what you're like. And it's going to take a lot of work trying to change their impression of you. But see, when we walk in God's authority and walk in his name, we follow Christ. And so they say, I'm following Christ. Now they expect us to be like him because we have his name. And then when we're walking around life and we, we look and we leave the footprints, we leave the signs. We don't worry about them. We don't try to do it. It's just something that happens. 
without trying, without doing anything about it. Signs happen. And that's God's will for our life. Now, I don't, I'm not going to get into any further than that. Next week, I'm going to start, start talking about these signs individually. I thought maybe I'd get into one of them today, but I won't because I have a lot of pages. I'm at, I practically had a thesis when I started this thing. That's why I uh, had such a hard time trying to decide to do it. But I'm going to break down all these signs, laying on the hands, casting out demons, picking up serpents. Oh, man, all these things are good. <laughs> so I plan on that the next few weeks because we're going to do that. We're going to take these apart, and you're going to understand why it takes me so long to get through a scripture because you have to do the whole thing. You just can't do one scripture. You've got to do all the other stuff around it. So and hopefully when the time we get through with these verses, you're going to feel a lot differently about them. And you're not going to feel so condemned. And maybe you'll be more uh, apt to just be looking ahead. Because that's what we're supposed to be doing anyway. We're supposed to be following Christ. Not trying to worry about what, what, what's happening behind us. Because I press forward toward the mark of the high calling. I don't want to look back. I don't want to do that. It's God's job to look at, the, look at the signs, not ours. And it's the job of unbelievers to follow them to you. If they follow my footprints in the sand... They're going to find me. And if they follow your footprints in the stand, they're going to find you. <coughs> so the head's bowed, eyes closed. <coughs> I want to know this morning, if there's anyone here this morning that maybe you're not a believer and you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, but you want to this morning because you know now something's making sense in this verse or you've seen before that you've never seen before. And it doesn't take all that much work to believe. You just got accepted, and I already believe Jesus exists. Here, history repeated that. Tells us that. I don't have, doesn't take a lot of faith for that. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ, but you want to accept him this morning as your Savior. If that's you, raise your hand. Okay. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been intimidated by this verse because you look behind and you don't see the signs that's been following you. And you don't want to be someone that's just looking for signs. You want to be somebody that's serving God and not worrying about what's following you. Let me see your hand. Because you want to change that this morning. You want to be